When I have multiple good options to choose from, how do I get divine direction on my decision? When I don't know who to date, when I don't know where to go to school, I don't know whether to start that small business or not. I don't know whether to go back and finish my education. I I need direction from God. How do I get that? God, it turns out, wants to guide you through life. The Bible is full of talking about places where God wants to lead you and guide you. Uh, It says in a famous psalm in the Bible, it's one of the most famous ones. It's the one where it says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, sometimes we we read that at funerals. But you know what's interesting is that that psalm's not really about death. It's actually just about the fact that God is like a shepherd who guides you through your life. Now, we've been in a series talking about making better decisions, and we've thought about this kind of basic idea, which is this. If you knew what God knew, would you make better decisions? Yeah, you better believe you would. If you could see some of what God sees, would you make better decisions? If you could even see five days into the future, would you make better decisions? If you could see five minutes into the future, would you make better decisions? It would change what I eat. I know that for absolute certainty. So if we could see and have God's perspective on our decisions, we would make better decisions. Now, God wants to help give you his perspective on decision making. That's why he gave us the Bible, he, he gives us this book that he wrote, and so you can open it. It's like if life is a journey, this, this Bible is a roadmap, and a roadmap is a great thing. But we, we saw in week two, not only does God give us his word, God also gives us godly counsel of people who are on that same journey, trying to follow Jesus and make wise decisions. And there's people who are a little bit further down the path. And if you have enough humility to say, what should I do in this situation? And actually listen, you can make better decisions. Last week, we talked about how if you make decisions uh, with, a, with a long enough perspective, with eternity in mind, you'll make better decisions. So decisions that aren't just good for you today, but that are good for you in eternity. But today, we're talking about guidance on those decisions when you have multiple good options. And what God gives us is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a gift that God gives to all believers to help you walk in ways that please him and to help you become more like Jesus. The Holy Spirit is your guide. If the, if the Bible is like the guidebook, then the Holy Spirit is the tour guide. It's that actual, hey, look over here, pay attention to that. He brings the Bible to life for you and applies it to your life. Here's a verse that talks about this very directly. Galatians 5.16 says, So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing whatever your sinful nature craves. So go ahead and take out your teaching notes today because these verses and the blanks are in your teaching notes. And I want you to write some of this down. The Holy Spirit guides your life. Now, you know, I I was thinking about this because... Uh, as, as, uh, as Christians, some Christians emphasize the role of the Holy Spirit in their, in their Christian walk in very huge ways. And there's other branches of Christianity that emphasize the role of the Bible in larger ways. And there's these kind of like different branches and depending on, and it kind of breaks up in denominations a lot of times. So if you go to this kind of the church, they, they emphasize the Holy Spirit more. And if they, you go to this kind of church, they, they emphasize the Bible more. And in the, the Christian life, uh, it's not either or. The Holy Spirit uses the Bible to guide us through life. And if you want to be led by him, it's going to be in concert with the Bible. Now, today in our 
for our points in our teaching time, I have four things that you have to stop doing and four things that you have to start doing if you want to be led by God's Spirit. Four things you have to stop doing and four things you have to start doing. When I was a teenager, uh, my, my life kind of went off the rails a little bit. And I, uh, my, my grades started slipping. I started binge drinking on the weekends. I started doing all kinds of uh, interesting drugs that made me see all kinds of interesting things. And my parents were getting very, very concerned about me. And so, you know, they were, they were, they were giving me this advice about, they, in the beginning, they didn't know about all the drugs and everything. They just knew that my grades were slipping. And so they were giving me all this advice saying, you know, you, you, know, you need to do this in class. You need to study more during this time. You need to pay more attention. You know, they're giving me all these things that I needed to do to improve my grades. But be, because I wasn't stopping the other stuff, my grades weren't improving. You know what I mean? It, in order for that guidance to work, I had to stop doing some things and I had to start doing some things. And so if you want to be led by God's spirit, it's that same idea in life that not only do you need to start doing some things, you also need to stop doing some things as well. So here's some ideas. If I want to be led by God's spirit, write this down. Number one, I can't follow a culture that doesn't follow God. If I want to be led by God's spirit, I can't follow a culture that doesn't follow God. And our culture, there's all sorts of things that are trying to guide you and lead you through life. There's talk shows, there's magazines. I mean, literally, there's uh, websites dedicated to telling you how you're supposed to to dress. I've been visiting the Ashley Weston one. It's not helping, right? So yesterday, I, I wore cargo shorts, right? It's just not... It's not sticky. Actually, one of the best things about being married, this is a total aside, is that my wife saved me from a life of cargo shorts and flip-flops. That's like one of the best things about marriage. Uh, there, are, there are websites that will uh, tell you how to dress. There are magazines that will tell you uh, how you should have sex. There are uh, podcasts you can listen to that basically are telling you how, what opinions to have about the issues and how to think. There's all these voices in our culture that are trying to guide us. But if you want to be led by God's spirit, then you can't be led by a culture that doesn't follow God. This comes directly from the Bible in Romans uh, chapter 12, verse 1. Now listen to this. It says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. Like how straightforward can it get? Don't copy what you see all around you. Instead, let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. And so to be a follower of God, to be led by God's spirit is to think differently than everyone else around you. And that's actually pretty difficult, isn't it? To be the one oddball in the room. Homeschoolers, you know what I'm talking about. You know, to be that one person who thinks differently is very difficult. But listen to this. If you stop uh, copying the world and you start letting God change the way you think, then look what happens. Then you will learn to know God's will which is good and pleasing and perfect. So God's will for you, think about those three words in that verse. It's good. God's will for you is good. God has good plans for your life, not bad plans for your life. God God loves you and wants to bless you. That's not a promise that your life will be easy, but it's a promise that your life will be blessed when you follow God. His will for you is pleasing. That means that um, it brings the Father joy. When my kids do something that's pleasing, I I have great joy over that. And and his will for you is also perfect. God's will for your life is perfect. And so if you stop following a culture that doesn't follow God and start being led by his spirit and changing the way you think, then his good, pleasing, and perfect will will come into your life. Okay, number two. If I want to be led by God's spirit, I can't follow friends that aren't led by God. 
not only the culture, but our friends as well. Now, we can see this. We all know about this in high school, right? Peer pressure. Uh, and uh, in those, in those uh, high school days that I was talking about, there was actually, I think all these pictures have been scrubbed off of Facebook, but there was a, ser- there was a, a season of my life where I was hanging out all with goth kids. And it was like black boots, black hair, black eyeliner. And um, I'm, I'm, I'm quite certain all the pictures have been destroyed. But we know that in your teenage years, those friends have an outsized impact on your life, right? It seems like their opinions are everything to you. Now, what happens is we grow up, we get older, we get more mature, and we just get better at hiding the fact that we care what everybody thinks about us. But it's still a big deal if you go into the office and you're the one person who doesn't believe what everybody else in the office believes. There's a tension there. But if you want to be led by God, you cannot be led by those friends. Proverbs talks about the power of friends everywhere. Uh, One verse on this, Proverbs 13, 20 says, walk with the wise and become wise associate with fools, and get in trouble. You know, it's been said, and it's true, that you are a reflection of the five closest friends you have. The five closest friends you have, their views on food and diet and what you should eat and shouldn't eat, that affects your views on food and diet. Their views on exercise affect your views on exercise. Their views on politics influence your views on politics. Their views on spirituality and God influence your views on spirituality, you are a reflection of your five closest friends. So what does that mean? Does that mean Christians should never have friends that aren't Christians? Well, I don't think it means that at all, because if you look at the life of Jesus, Jesus hung out with everybody all the time. But the big difference in Jesus' life is that he wasn't influenced by people. He was an influencer. So here's what you need to think about for the friendships in your life. Am I a thermometer or am I a thermostat? Am I a thermometer or am I a thermostat? A thermometer just takes the environment around you and, and, and it adjusts itself to the environment around and it tells you what's happening around. A thermostat affects the environment. You know what I'm saying? So in your friendships, are you just being influenced by everyone around you and reflecting that? Or are you changing the temperature and the environment of the friends around you? Are you being influenced or are you an influencer? Because if you're a thermometer and you're being led by your friends, then you won't be uh, be being led by God. That actually is proper English, I'm pretty sure. So number two, you can't follow friends that aren't led by God. Number three, if I want to be led by God's spirit, I can't look to other sources beside God. There's all kinds of places that people look. They want to, you, want, you want certainty, you want security, you want to know about the future, you want, to, you want help making decisions. People will turn to talk shows for this, but they'll also turn to horoscopes about this. If uh, in the Bible there's this word for getting divine direction without God, and it's the word divination. And so sometimes if you're reading through the Bible, you'll encounter this word divination. And you're like, what, what is that? It is, divination is looking to the future without looking to God. And so in the ancient world, it was incredibly common. The most common way in the ancient world that people would try to, try to gain information about the future uh, was by, it was, it's actually seems strange to some of us, would be to kill an animal and look at its liver. And you kind of look at the liver and you go, oh, you, you, know, you, you should go to battle. Or you look at the liver and you go, oh, don't go to battle. Um, the, the Romans would always practice this before they went to battle. This was common throughout the ancient world and is still practiced in certain places today. They, would also, they had all sorts of ways of doing this. Sometimes they would cast lots. Sometimes they would shake arrows out of a quiver, and you know, like depending on how the arrows fall. Um, more 
modern versions of this, you've, you've heard of reading the tea leaves. Harry Potter fans, you know what I'm talking about. It's Professor Trelawney. Anyway, um, there are, today, we still have psychics, uh, palm readers, people who practice uh, tarot cards. And uh, I, I didn't grow up in the city. I grew up in the suburbs. I don't know about you. And so there was, there was some strip malls. And so the, the psychics were always in the, the strip mall. And so they were often parked in front of, the, their car was often parked in front of them. And did you notice it was always like a Mercedes or a BMW? You know, one of the things that psychics always see in their future is green. Like, the, you know, the business is still, is still booming. But according to the Bible, you can't look to other sources and still be led by the Spirit. Deuteronomy 18, 10 through 12 is one of the places the Bible talks about this. It says, uh, and do not let your people practice fortune telling or use sorcery or interpret omens or engage in witchcraft or cast spells or function as mediums or psychics or call forth the spirits of the dead. Anyone who does these things is detestable to the Lord. Wow, that is powerful. Like that is incredibly strong language because God wants you to be led by his spirit, not by these other things. And so as a Christian, we do not practice those things. Now, if you're a secular person, you might think, uh, and you're just kind of here checking out church and investigating Christianity, you might think, well, I didn't care about that anyway. That's a little hokey to me. As a Christian, as a very spiritual person who believes in the existence of spiritual beings, to me, I don't find that hokey. I find it very dangerous that I would invite that sort of, that, that, that kind of spiritual, uh, 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 total pastoral transparency, that sort of demonic spiritual power into my life. I would never want that. And if you're a Christian, I would highly encourage you. You just, you just don't ever want to mess with that. Okay. You, you can't look to other sources besides God. Now, some of you are like, wow, I really need to stop going to see my psychic. But most of you, maybe that didn't hit you like right where you live every day. But I think this last one is going to hit everybody right where you are. Here's number four, the thing we have to stop. If I want to be led by God's spirit, I must stop being led by my circumstances. That hits everyone. That hits me. We've got to stop being led by our circumstances. I heard this um, this week, and it was so powerful to me, that um, circumstances help you confirm the will of God, but they don't help you discern the will of God. Circumstances can help you confirm the will of God, but not discern the will of God. And there's a great biblical example on this. There's several, but the, the, the strongest one is the prophet Jonah. God says to Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh, and I want you to preach to them so that they can repent and turn away from their sins. Nineveh was a city that Jonah hated. It was full of violent people who had oppressed uh, Jonah's own people, the Jews. And, and, and uh, Nineveh was due east from Jonah, it's in, it's, it's in modern-day Iraq. And Jonah, instead of obeying God and going to Nineveh, instead of heading east, he runs west. He wants to go as literally the opposite direction of what God's will is for him. And so he goes to uh, the port, and when he gets there, there's a ship waiting for him. And not only is there a ship waiting for him, there's a ship going to Tarshish, which is the farthest western point in the no, known world. Instead of going to Iraq, he's headed to Spain. And so, uh, so he gets on the ship, and they say, oh, yeah, we've got room for you to take you on. He's got money to pay for them. Uh, they've got a bed in the back of the ship for him to sleep on, and then the, the winds come up, and off they set sail. Every circumstance in Jonah's life permitted him to just disobey God's will for his life. The circumstance, you know, if the circumstances don't confirm that that's God's will for you, 
And so for so many of us, you know, just the, the circumstances we find ourselves in, we just assume that that's God's will. And you say like, well, I've been dating this person since high school. Obviously, this is the person God wants me to marry. It's like, well, maybe or maybe not. You say like, you know, the, this job just fell into my lap. Maybe. You go like, well, I can always just go into the family business. Maybe. But it's not safe to assume that just because the circumstances line up in your life, that is God's will for you. He may have something different for you. He may have something more for you. He may have a different journey for you to go on. And of course, what happens in Jonah's life is eventually he gets thrown overboard, and they say, what's the deal? And he has to go back. And when you don't obey God the first time, God often makes you go back to the start, and then he comes back to you again. He says, hey, listen, remember, here's what I asked you to do. I wanted you to go to Nineveh, and Jonah has to go to Nineveh and do what God asked. And the story of Jonah and many other stories in the Bible have, have led me to the belief that you, um, you cannot defeat God's purposes for your life, but you can take a detour. And it's usually pretty painful. And so you can't be led by your circumstances if you want to be led by God's spirit. So those are the four things that you have to stop. Now, the things that you have to start if you want to be led by God's spirit. Here's the positive things. Number one, fast and pray. Fast and pray. Um, Jesus practiced fasting and prayer when he, when he had big decisions to make. When he went to go pick his disciples, it's in Luke chapter 6. Listen to what it says. One day soon afterwards, Jesus went up on a mountain to pray, and he prayed to God all night long. At daybreak, he called together all of his disciples and chose 12 of them to be his apostles. When Jesus had a choice to make about the 12 people who are going to change the world, he stays up all night and prays. And some of you have a major decision to make in your life right now. And for you, it's time for you to dedicate yourself to a season of prayer and fasting. Now, of course, it's always also easy to say, you know, that's just uh, Jesus, and he's Jesus, right? But this was true of the early church as well. And I love this example because Jesus had a specific decision to make, and so therefore he stayed up all night praying. But these people didn't have a decision to make, and it was through fasting and prayer that all of a sudden God opened up possibilities for them that were not open for them before. Acts 13, 2 through 3. One day as these men, now these men are the leaders of the church in Antioch. As these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting, so they're, they're doing what Christians do. They're, they're gathering together on Sunday. They're singing their songs. They're, they're hearing the word spoken and preached. They're also fasting. Just in the, in the middle of that kind of ordinary rhythm of Christian life, the Holy Spirit says, appoint Barnabas and Saul for the special, special work to which I have called them. Now, I think this is actually really cool to me because I, I don't think, I don't know, but I don't think that's an audible voice from heaven. Because there are times in the Bible where there's, like the voice, you know? And it often records that a voice from heaven spoke, like when Jesus was baptized and there's this voice that comes out of heaven or, or during Paul's conversion experience, he sees this blinding light and this, this voice from heaven speaks. But here you find these, these people in the church worshiping and fasting and it's the Holy Spirit says. So it, it's probably that sort of internal prompting that Christians get where they say, you know what? As we pray and fast, it's like, I think, 
I think, uh, I, I feel like God's leading me that we should set aside Barnabas and Saul to go do this work for God. And another person in the church says, yeah, I've been getting that same I- idea coming into my mind as we've been praying. And so the Holy Spirit says, set them aside for the special work to which I have called them. And so then what do they do after they receive this and they have to make this life-shaping decision? After more fasting and prayer, the men laid their hands on them and sent them on their way. Fasting and prayer is, is the primary way that the, you are led by the Spirit. Um, our church was in the Quincy School for almost exactly five years, just a little bit over that. And about three years into that, I sensed as the pastor that we might need to move. That there was just something about the Quincy School. It's this incredible home that God provided for us, but there was something about the location where it was just, it was by a highway and there were some things like that. And the the kids' spaces weren't as clean as I wanted them to be. And there there were just some things. And so I started praying to God and saying, God, would you make a way for a new home for our church? And I would walk through the city and pray. Occasionally, I would go by a location. I tried some different colleges and and places like that. And um, for, for multiple years, nothing happened. And I was just praying and praying and praying. And when you pray for something for years, and some of you have been praying for something for years, you, you know that feeling in the middle of that where you go like, I wonder if God's hearing this. Like, it doesn't feel like my prayers are doing anything. But this summer, about eight weeks ago, when the school board came to us and said, it's time for you to move. And then that same week, I was meeting in a Capital One cafe explaining our situation to my supervisor, and a man uh, who, who we just happened to know and happened to be in the cafe walked up to us. He was the pastor of another church. He said, what are you talking about? I said, well, we need a new space. He said, our old space is available. Would you like me to show you our old contracts and connect you with the person? It just, it was like years of prayers being answered in a week. And I think sometimes that's how God works and how God moves, but it's, it, it takes prayer. It takes sometimes years of prayer when you make a decision. So if you want to be led by his spirit, you have to fast and pray. Uh, Number two, if you want to be led by the spirit, you have to wait. You have to wait. Um, You know, I mentioned that we were waiting for two years. Uh, I was waiting for two years. You know, biblically, waiting for two years is nothing. You know, when people wait in the Bible, it's for like four decades, right? It's, you know, when, when God makes you wait, he, ma- he makes you wait. So there's no complaining about two years here. Um, there is one person in the Bible that has this incredible story about not waiting, and it's Abraham. Uh, God makes these incredible promises to Abraham. And he promises him that he will have descendants that are, that are more than the stars in the sky, more than the, the grains of sand on the beach. But Abraham is old in age, and so is his wife, and they don't have any children. And God makes this promise, and then years go by, 10, 11 years, and still no kids. And so, you know, Abraham and and Sarah, I I like them. I think they would fit in in Boston because they're people that are go-getters. Like when they they see a problem, they're like, we're going to solve this problem. 
And, and you know, it's like, you know, it's actually God that has a problem because he, he made this promise, but they're old and they can't seem to have children. And so they're like, you know what, we're going to solve this problem for God because our five-year plan's not working out here. So we're going we're gonna to speed things up a little bit. So Sarah has this great idea. She says, why don't you take my servant, Hagar, and sleep with her? Because what could possibly go wrong? And, and so Abraham's like, you know what? That's a great idea. And so they're, they're trying to solve this problem for God. They're trying to speed up his timing instead of waiting on the promised child. And so Abraham sleeps with Hagar. Uh, well, let me, um, let me read to you from the Bible that part of the story. It's, it's Genesis chapter 16. Now Sarai, Abraham's wife, had not been able to bear children for him, but she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. So Sarai said to Abraham, the Lord has prevented me from having children. Go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. And Abraham agreed with Sarai's proposal. So Hagar gave Abraham a son, and Abram named, I keep calling him Abram, Abram named him Ishmael. Ish, when you give birth to an Ishmael because you have rushed the plan of God, it always creates chaos later in your life. And, uh, you know, Abraham, you know, Ishmael was blessed by God. He actually uh, is the father of many nations himself. But he causes so much chaos in Abraham's life that the women get into a fight with each other, and I don't blame them, I blame Abram. Uh, You know, it's like sister wives, uh, you know, second millennium BC edition. And, you know, they, get, they end up getting cast out of the home, and God tells them to go back, and then they, they end up uh, jealous of one another, and the, the children are fighting and warring with each other, and, and, and it's all because they tried to rush God's plan. And so what, what happens is God makes them go back to the start. He comes back to Abram. He tells them the promise again, because when you don't obey God, he brings you back to the same place. You have to obey me, and then they have to wait again until Abram is 99 years old, and that's when Sarah conceives miraculously, and they have Isaac, which is the child of promise. If you don't wait on God, you will birth an Ishmael. And you're not going to ruin God's purpose and plans for your life. You cannot defeat God's purpose and plans for your life, but you can take a serious detour. And I know there have been many times in my life where I have rushed and I, I wanted God's, I wanted, um, you know, I wanted to reach people and so I would start a ministry, but instead of waiting on God's timing for him to raise up the right person, I would say, we're just going to do it now. And we're just going to make it happen. And with, we didn't plan on it. We didn't wait on it. We just did it. And of course, it always crumbles. It always falls to the ground because we are waiting. We're not waiting on God. So if you want to be led by God's spirit, you have to wait. If you rush, you'll give birth to an Ishmael. Uh, Number three, if I want to be led by God's spirit, I must watch. You should be expecting God to speak to you. But instead of watching for signs, you should be watching for confirmation. Confirmation is something like um, when, when, when what we're pursuing is in line with God's will for us. It's God's way of nudging you or tweaking you in the right direction. Uh, there was a man in the Bible named Gideon who wanted, he, he, was, uh, he was kind of an insecure leader. God said he had big plans for him. And Gideon was like, well, yeah, but could you prove it, please? And so he, he puts out this sheepskin outside and it's wet. And he's like, you know, God, if the sheepskin is wet, then I'll do, I'll do what you said. And he, he puts it out and the sheepskin's wet. And he thinks to himself, well, that was 
kind of silly because there's dew outside, so that was a bad plan. So he says, God, let me try again. If I put it out again and it's dry and then the ground around, and God does all this for him and he gives him signs, but it appears to be a lack of faith on, um, it appears to be a lack of faith on Gideon's part, that he's asking God for signs. And yet God does speak. He does lead and guide him. Uh, In Judges chapter 7, even after the thing with the sheepskin, God gives him more confirmation, this time through a dream and vision. Judges 7. Uh, Gideon doesn't know whether he's supposed to go to battle with the Midianites, so he creeps up as a man was telling his companion about a dream. The man said, I had this dream, and in my dream, a loaf of barley bread came tumbling down into the Midianite camp. It hit a tent, turned it over, and knocked it flat. His companion answered, your dream can mean only one thing. God has given Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite, victory over Midian and all its allies. God gives him confirmation through a dream. Job 33 says God does this kind of confirming work. God speaks again and again, but people don't recognize it. He speaks in dreams and visions of the night when deep sleep falls on people as they lie in their beds. There's all sorts of ways that God confirms his will for you. Uh, I wrote down some of the ways that Christians have experienced God's confirmation that they've watched for it in their lives. Uh, Sometimes it's a very strong impression that you have as you're praying that you're supposed to go one way instead of another way. Sometimes it is the unexpected counsel of another believer, especially if two of them who don't know each other will come and say the same thing to you. God will use that to confirm his will for you. Um, it It might be the alignment of circumstances if you have discerned his will in other ways. When we were starting this church six years ago, um, we we had decided to do it. We had prayed about it. We had fasted. We decided we were going to do it. And shortly thereafter, a couple of people who weren't Christians gave us a gift of $24,000 to start the church. And that was a great confirmation for us. We thought, you know what? If people who aren't Christians are financially supporting this, God must be behind it. Um, It might be the emergence of a guiding scripture verse. You know, the Holy Spirit will often speak to you through the word because he wrote the word. According to the Bible, the Holy Spirit is the author of the scriptures. And so some of you are listening for a voice from God and you're saying like, man, I just need to hear this voice. You need to stop listening for a voice and stop look and start looking for a verse because he will use the scriptures to guide you. Heather and I are currently in the, um, the process we're exploring adoption and we're, we're kind of in the middle of the, the tunnel of, of chaos there. But when we were early on and we were praying about whether or not to do it, um, I was reading the story of the parable of the talents, which is a story that Jesus told about how you invest your money. And I just had this really strong feeling that because our family had some extra money, God wanted us to invest it in, in an orphan, in one particular person without a family. And... Um, And Heather thought that was just the strangest thing in the world, that Jesus' teachings on finances were the things that got my heart engaged in orphan care, Um, because she was like, they're babies, they need a family, you know, like, you know, she sees a picture online, she's like, let's adopt them all, we'll get the whole world, we'll get a bigger house, Um, and I was like, yeah, but let's talk about the dollars and cents, and that, but that was what the verse God used to speak into my life, and here's the really cool thing, independently, Heather's cousin was they were praying about the same thing, and we didn't know it. And um, uh, when we called to talk to them about it, um, her husband said, yeah, the thing that really did it for me was I was reading the parable of the talents, and I really felt like we were supposed to invest our family's money in orphans. And I was like, okay, Jesus, all right? Like, so Kirk clan is growing, Kirk, Kirk party of six, you know? 
and I don't know how that's going to work out, you know. I don't know if, I don't know the end of that story yet, but I know that God used that verse to, to lead us in that direction. Um, you, uh, two other kinds of confirmation. You might have a surprising piece with one course of action. Uh, lastly, a confirmation might look like the support of church elders to pursue one particular course of action. I think God uses all of these to confirm his will in your life. 1 Thessalonians 5.19 says, now if you're a more skeptical person, maybe you're here today, you're not a believer, or you're sort of like believer light, like your parents made you go to Christian school, and now you're here and you're like, I'm still figuring this thing out. That may all sound a little bit to you hokey, because it did to me when I wasn't a Christian, that you're like, okay, like, are you looking for like, like, are you looking for signs in the sidewalk, or, you know, you go outside and you see a billboard, you know, it's like, but here's, here's what 1 Thessalonians says about this. It says, don't stifle the Holy Spirit. Don't scoff at prophecies, but test everything that is said and hold on to what is good. You know, as Christians, we really believe that God lives in us and he guides us. And so we should expect to receive guidance from God. But not everything you see is a sign. Like there's some discernment that happens here, right? And so that's why it's so important to be in community with other people so that you can be talking to it. You're supposed to test things, right? Like, just because, like, you wake up and you feel bad about a course of action, it's like maybe you just had too much pizza the night before and you, what you've really got is indigestion. Like, there's a discerning process here. There's a testing process, and it's good to bring other people into this as you watch. Okay, the last thing here. We're talking about being led by God's Spirit. If I want to be led by God's Spirit, I have to move. I have to move. You know, it's like if you want to go to all the trouble of listening to God's Spirit, when he actually tells you to move, you got to move. You know, he actually leads you and guides you. You've got to obey. Even if it's something you never expect and you thought, man, I, I, I thought it would be the exact opposite thing, but God's leading him in this direction, then I've got to obey. Uh, here's the memory verse. Let's read this out loud together. It starts with, since we are living. Ready? And go. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Yeah, if we're going to live by the Spirit, then let's follow his lead, right? And I don't know where God's going to lead you. I don't know where he's going to take you. I don't know what he's going to call you to do or challenge you to do or step up in faith or take that step or make that move, but I believe God's going to do it because I believe that he's living and he's active and he calls every person and challenges every one of them. I don't know whether for you that's a financial thing and you say like, you know, you've got a tight grip on money and you need to loosen your grip on money so it loosens its grip on you and you say, you know what, today I need to give a first-time gift because I've been holding on too tight to money. Or maybe that's a huge hang-up for you with the church. And if it is, I don't care. Give your money somewhere else. And just go find a charity and give your money because you've got to learn to live generously and take that step of faith. Um, for some of you, there's a challenge that you haven't heard yet. This fall, we're going to be doing a spiritual growth campaign where for 40 days, all of us get on the same page. And we're going to be looking at 40 days with Jesus because when you spend time with Jesus, nobody comes away unchanged. And my prayer is I have a goal for us to have 10 groups in the church, and I need some of you who have never thought about it before to host a group. A host does four things, H-O-S-T. They have a heart for people, they open their home, they serve some snacks, and they turn on the TV and push play. And like, if you can do that, you can host a group, and we'll provide you with all the content, we'll provide you with, uh, it's not DVD, with the, with the online videos that you can play, and the, the questions to ask in your group, and you can host a group. And I, I believe that God is going to call some of you to step up and follow the lead of his Holy Spirit and host a group this fall, even though you never thought you would do that in a million years. 
Um, and you can actually request info for that on your connection card today. If you just check the box, we'll send you info on what it looks like. You're not deciding today. You're, you're, you're getting info about that. I believe that some, God is going to call some of you to step up and serve in ways that you've never served. I don't, I don't know if you noticed, but there's more stuff up here than ever before. And the tech team needs people to say, you know what, like, because I believe in eternity, I'm going to wake up early on a, one Sunday a month and show up and serve. Like, there's no better reason to do that than unless you believe that there's rewards in heaven. Because if there's not, man, 7 o'clock on Sunday morning, forget about it. You know what I mean? Heaven is a place of rest, which means that today we can work hard, and that's really cool. You know, if the Holy Spirit is calling you to get into a community and get into a group, then you need to do it. If he's calling you to speak into someone's life, life, encouragement and love, and he's been saying, you need to meet with this person, every one of those things is a small step of faith, just believing that God will work through it. And if you are going to follow his leading, that if you're going to live by the Spirit, you've got to follow his lead. You've got to move when he says to move. So that's it. That's following the guidance of the Holy Spirit. There's some things you've got to stop doing. If you, you can't be led by anything else. If you want to follow the leading of the Spirit, you can't be led by the culture or by friends or by divination or by your circumstances. Instead, you've got, you've got to fast. You've got to pray. You've got to wait on the Lord. You've got to watch for the Lord to confirm that in your life. And I believe that God will move and lead you and guide you.